Well, we're preaching through 2 Peter, and this was the Mother's Day text. <laughs> uh, but we'll come to see it's very big. Uh, before we get into the text, and we'll spend just a short time there this morning, uh, a couple updates. One, on June 5th, we're going to celebrate 10 years of God's faithfulness here at the well. Uh, so God's just been super faithful to us as a church and worked through us in, in just wonderful ways. And we, have, we just want to give praise on June 5th. So uh, if you are here in town, uh, please set that uh, time aside on the 5th at 10 a.m. Uh, we've rented uh, the Civic Center downtown Silver Spring to have a, a huge feast and celebration. Uh, please uh, join the whole church then on the 5th. Uh, the second is, and I told you about a building opportunity last week, uh, we have begun kind of informal conversations with that group, and it's, it's kind of looking promising. So uh, we're going to pray this morning, because uh, maybe God is doing something amazing, miraculous in that. And also, we send a team to Kenya uh, this Saturday, the 14th, uh, for about 10, 15 days there, so we want to pray for that too. So uh, I'm going to give us some space just to pray uh, for... Uh, the right building in the right time, maybe uh, this opportunity is it. Uh, and secondly, uh, for the team uh, that's going to Kenya this Saturday. So uh, let's pray out loud all at once. Uh, one time, let's come before the Lord uh, now, asking Him to move in mercy and might. Let's pray now. Uh, Father, it would be our desire that we would see little Silas grow up at the Well Community Church and that we would see his kids and their kids in a generational way bring the good news of the gospel to Silver Spring. God, we know you can do that without a building, but uh, we pray that you might give us a space to sink roots for the impact of the gospel for generations. That Silas would be dedicating uh, his kids up here one day that we would see you do a mighty work to reach generation after generation, plant church after church, and bring the good news of the gospel of Silver Springs, surrounding areas. God, if, if the, the opportunity you have for us that we're uh, in dialogue with now, if that's it, would you give it to us? And if it's not, God, would you give us the right place at the right time? We trust you. You're such a good father. You've shown your faithfulness for 10 years to the love. We know we can trust you. Amen. Well, this is a daunting passage, uh, and the idea in the passage is kind of like when you say to your kid, don't run out in the road. Uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, God is saying uh, there is a false message in the world that is seeping into the church, many of them actually, uh, that is uh, going to bring destruction and dismay uh, for all of us. And what more fitting of a day than Mother's Day? Because, God, I'm going to tell you, mothers are on the front line of this battle. And our families are on the front line of this battle to keep the gospel pure, to keep pointing people back to the master Jesus who is glorious and gracious and loving and kind. Uh, so we're just going to walk through this, this wild text. Uh, and starting with the image uh, of the whole series that we've been doing here in First and Second Peter, 
uh, this image of being a, a living temple built on Christ with one another because we cannot stay firm, stay true to the truth without one another. In our families, as moms, as dads, as singles, as, as all of us. So let me remind us of the image that we've been using through First and Second Peter. It's up here on the screen. And it's that of a kind of a living temple built as living stones on Christ. And it comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to Jesus, Peter says, a living stone, he was rejected by men, but in the sight of God he was chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Uh, that we are God's people, built on the person of Christ, who was rejected, who, who died in our place, who was resurrected, that we could be linked together with one another as families in a, in a living temple, uh, stones built and, and, and grafted onto one another on Christ in strength, staying sturdy and strong through turbulent times. Linking arms with one another. And then we kind of blended the image with a modern-day image of a cairn, and that's kind of what these are, where, where there are these uh, piles of stones that, that mark a path that we can walk in security. Uh, you know, sometimes you're in the woods and the path is just super clear, right? But, but then, particularly when you get a, above the tree line and, and it's just stony and rocky and a little more dangerous as the elevation grows, the path goes away. But then there are these cairns, these stacks of rocks along the path to mark your way to safety. And to that glorious people, you say, man, I'm glad I stayed on the path to get here. Moms, dads, men, and women, the church all together, raising our kids, all of our kids together as a spiritual family. We cannot do this alone. We are built on Christ, linking arms with one another. Sturdy. Walking the path of the, the, the truth of the message of the gospel from now into all of eternity. And this passage says, do not get off that path. Do not listen to false messages. It will bring disaster and destruction in your life. And there's no one out there that feels that more than a mom who's walking with a son or a daughter and seeing someone kind of wander in a wayward way and say, man, I wish you were clinging to the truth of the gospel. There's life in it, Peter says. So let's all fight together for the truth of the gospel. Let's get into this passage and we'll walk through it quickly as our time is short. Uh, Peter begins in his uh, language is very poignant. Uh, he says this, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. He says, but, he points back to the previous passage where uh, he's just said, man, I'm a, a true prophet uh, teaching the truth of who Jesus did, and who Jesus is and all he's done. And he says, but there's going to be these false prophets, these False teachers were going to come where? Into the church. Secretly bringing in destructive heresies. Even denying the master. And here's the core of every false message. No matter what it is. Every false message begins at this core message. Which is 
they deny the master. Every false message says, uh, Jesus is not king. God is not king. Jesus ought not to direct your life. You are king. You are master. You are the trustworthy one. Or this or that person or this other ideology, this ism, uh, that is the way to salvation and healing and restoration and the good life and, and freedom and gain. If you would just go that way, if you would self-direct, don't tell me what to do with my body. Jesus is not master. I am master. It's at the core of every message, every false teaching. If it's in this little moment of immorality, of, of choosing this or that way that you know that the Lord doesn't have for you, it's that same core question, false, lie, which says, I know what's best. Jesus says, don't sleep with my girlfriend, but I know what's best. Jesus says, do this with my money, but I know what's best. Jesus says, forgive your enemy, but I know what's best. And at the core of every false teaching and lie is the decision to say, I know what's best. I am master. I am good. I am trustworthy. This is the value. It's the same, it's the same lie that's been given from the very beginning of time. In Exodus chapter, or Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, God's created humanity in his image. And he said, hey, you can have the whole garden, all these trees, it's going to be amazing, except for the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can't have that. I, you know, so here's what occurs. And Satan comes to the woman and says, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of all the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. It's the very language of God where God says, you will die, die, is how the Hebrew is written. And here Satan says, you will not die, die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open." You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can't trust him. He's not good. He's withholding from you what is good. You need to self direct. You need to choose what you know is good, what feels right. Go after it. There is knowledge, there is life there, and God is withholding it from you. You are your own master. And that leads to death, death. When God says this and we choose that, that the core of that false teaching is, I'm my own God. Uh, what motivates uh, folks to come in with a false message? We see it in verses 2 and 3. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Gosh, man, it's plain language. What's the motive? 
Uh, the motive is simple here. Uh, uh, many will follow their sensuality uh, because uh, they want to have this or that. And in order to get this or that, which they know the Lord says is not the right way about going life, uh, they twist and change and blaspheme the truth. There's, a, there's a, a desire for freedom to choose whatever I want, to do whatever I want, to be my own God. Uh, so in order to get my freedom to choose and do whatever I please in, in my marriage, uh, with my kids, at my workplace, uh, in, in my college dorm, whatever I please, I, I have to be free. And therefore, the motive is I have to distort what is true of who God is and what God says. In order to be free, to get what I want. And many will follow and say, let's go get what we want to be free. That teaching is not true. Uh, the second motivator is greed that Peter writes here. Will it be uh, greed of popularity, being a part of the crowd? I'm in the in crowd. I, I, I believe that too. If there's a, a greed in that, or I, I, I had a friend in seminary. And here's a big one in the church then, this, uh, the prosperity gospel. And he was a, an intern for this really well-known preacher. And this preacher was just preaching things that, man, if you trust in Jesus and give money to us, you will be healed. And you're, you're going to have a good life now. And so my friend who was an intern with him, he said, the day I quit, here's what he saw. They're getting into this guy's private jet. And he's got trash bags full of cash. And he said, I'm out. Right, greed. I'll preach a message if I can get something from it. Even if the message is not true, I'll leverage it for my own good. It's a heavy motivator. I was uh, up late one night a bunch of years back, and I was watching a Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, and there was this guy on there saying, you'll be healed if you send in the money. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, I mean, I'm like, I'm catching the throw up in my mouth. It was terrible, you know? And so I just say, I'm going to call this guy. <laughs> so I call the number on the screen. I get the guy, I get some very sweet lady who answers the phone, and she's like, hello, Trinity Marcus. I'm like, and, and I start fake crying. Because the guy on the screen is saying, if you send money, uh, your, literally your mother or your family member will be healed from cancer. So I start, I fake crying on her. I'm saying, if I send this money, is it going to heal her? And then this lady is now in a conundrum. She's like, oh my gosh, right? Uh, but this is what, what Peter is saying. What, what motivates false teaching is, is a gain, a selfishness, a greed. I will get something if I teach something false. And it puts blinders on people's eyes. And Peter says, do not go that way. It leads to disaster and destruction. What's the result? We've seen the core, we've seen the motive of false teaching. What's the result? The result is you can't change reality. The result is you cannot change reality. Peter says people are going to come in and they're going to tell you, you're the master, deny the real master. You're the master, live for freedom and yourself and you get great gain and follow my message. You're your own master and it's going to lead to great freedom. It's going to lead to great gain. Just go ahead and chase it. And God says, you cannot change reality. You can't change reality. And he gives uh, three examples here of reality. 
and the angels Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. And everyone is kind of this if-then idea. You get all these if examples of, of don't go in the street, it's going to bring disaster. Uh, the first one is these angels, and it can be in reference if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. And, and this, this is an allusion, most likely to Genesis chapter 6, uh, where angels and uh, humans have illicit relationship. It's a wild passage. And Jude interprets it in Jude uh, verse 6. And then uh, First Enoch, this kind of intertestamental book, kind of gives that same kind of commentary of uh, that's what's going on there. And God brings his judgment. And then there's a second example. If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness. And we probably know the story. It's in Genesis chapter 7 to 10. And Noah is rescued from the flood, but, but those who have decided they want to follow a different message, at least to, quote, freedom and gain, but it actually leads to destruction, and, and that example is given of Noah. And then we have this example of Lot, who's in Sodom and, and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas there, and, and these angels coming to town because uh, Abraham is begging for grace. He's saying, God rescue, save these folks who have just gone off the rails. And then this crazy scene occurs, and you kind of have to go there and get all the details, but uh, basically this group comes and, and attempts to rape this person and these angels. And you get these if, if, if examples. And then you get the then in verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. When you decide to keep walking in the truth and clinging to the one true master, you think, man, I can't do this anymore as a mom, as a dad, as a single, as a college student. As a middle schooler, I can't do this anymore. Uh, Peter says, the Lord knows how to rescue you. He's with you. He can save just like he saved Noah. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. He knows how to save and how to destroy. James chapter 4, verse 12 says, There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. That's our God. That's our God. I just have one question for us as we head into communion today. Why would You let God be your master. Why as a mom would you just keep saying, I'm going to keep clinging to this God as my master. I, I feel alone right now. I feel like uh, this message is too hard to share with my, my kids or in my place of work or, or as a dad. I just can't hold on. Why would, why would we keep Jesus as our master? Or you're just kind of, you're in the midst of this moral decision. And you think, if I go this way, I think it's going to bring me a lot more light. Why would you trust? Why would you keep Jesus as your master?
Uh, most days, Courtney or, or myself will go to little Leo, who just turned seven. That's crazy. This past weekend, and we'll say, "How do you know Jesus loves you?" He goes, "Because He died for me." How do you know you can trust Jesus? How, how do you know He ought to be my master? How do you know? That when he says, if you go that way, it'll lead to life. How do you know? Look what he did for you on the cross. There is no love like this. Moms, dads, kids, spiritual family together. There is no love like this. So when you're, you're contemplating that core question, who's my master? Is it me? Or is it my God? Did you remember what Jesus has done for you? His body was broken. His blood was spilled. That you would give your whole life that when you messed up and you just thought, man, he can't be my master. I've just done, I've, I've just run too far from it. And you're believing that false message, that false prophecy, that lie that you need to make yourself better to be pleasing to God. Would you remember you have a master who died for you, who lived for you. His righteousness is sufficient. His death is sufficient. You have one master. And what a glorious master he is. When you're thinking, I'm going to do this with my sexuality, I'm going to do this with my money, I'm going to do this in my workplace, I'm going to do this that nobody knows of, would you remember, you have one master, a glorious master who loves you and his ways are true. And they lead to life. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, would you know the judgment of God has fallen on his own son, not you, to make you a son of God? And if you're not, if you're not, then can I say this morning, don't run into the street and claim your Christ. Oh, what a glorious master is. Oh, what a glorious master. Let's take and eat. Remember what a mighty Savior we have who is with you now, walking with you in whatever you're walking in. Keep handing yourself to Him over and over again. Oh, what a glorious master.